Well, for most of the past several weeks, we have been journeying through the Beatitudes. Now, that first part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount uh, found at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And as you know, the Beatitudes, in, in, Jesus lists uh, eight kingdom qualities, uh, eight kingdom of God characteristics that mark a Christian. Uh, characteristics that should continually be growing in the life of a follower of Jesus. So these are eight godly characteristics that every follower of Jesus should be striving to develop in his or her life. Uh, Biblical scholars have noted that the Beatitudes, as well as the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, but for our purposes today, uh, the Beatitudes, that they are a, a new kind of law. Or, or a kind of new law like the old law. And as such, they should continually drive us to Jesus, who enables us to then live them out. You see, the Beatitudes are both who you are and who you're becoming if you are in Christ. But when you read that list of Beatitudes, As we have gone through each one week by week, I'm sure many of you, like me, at times have felt overwhelmed. Uh, I I, I don't know that this truly marks me, or at least not in the way that it should fully. I mean, have have you ever felt like you just weren't up for a task at hand? And, And maybe it's something that even some of the time you do really well, but you just don't feel up to it. Or do you, do you ever have that, that fear that you're going to be exposed? Exposed is a fraud, is a fake. People are going to find me out. They're going to find out I really, I really don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I often feel this way as a parent, as a husband, as a pastor. But think about it in terms of these beatitudes, this weighty list that Jesus speaks to us. And think about what Jesus says just a few verses after the Beatitudes. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Okay, or even more startling, what Jesus states clearly, crystal clear, at the very end of Matthew 5, the very last verse. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, come on, Jesus. I mean, you've got to be kidding. I'm only human. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking directly. He's not kidding. And that is a weighty calling. I mean, when, when I hear that, I realize what a seemingly impossible command that is. You must be perfect. Perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. And you know, apart from grace, that command is crushing. So what are, what are we to do? And what has God already done? Well, those two questions are answered beautifully, powerfully, 
graphically in something central to the Beatitudes. Uh, something essential to the gospel. And so as we wrap up our sermon series on the Beatitudes today, having looked at the last Beatitudes specifically uh, last week, we're going to springboard from Matthew chapter 5 uh, back into Genesis chapter 15. Because there we find a beautiful, powerful, graphic expression of God's commitment to make us who he created us to be. And the very foundation on which these beatitudes stand. So if you'd turn with me uh, to Genesis 15. If you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, we're going to be on page 11. And it's specifically in the last couple of verses, uh, verses 17 and 18, where we encounter that essential something. A central truth, a central act, a central reality on which the whole gospel rests. So let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll hear God's word. Almighty God, you who are faithful and true, you who are the God who has spoken, and the God who by the power of your spirit continues to speak to us today through your word. Would you now open us to your word and open your word to us that we might be changed in the face of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. And so Genesis 15, uh, some of you may be familiar with this passage uh, this is where God, we, we find God making a covenant with Abram. Uh, we're going to read the, the larger context in, in just a few moments, uh, but for now, we're just going to focus on those last uh, couple of verses. So I invite you to hear the word of God, Genesis chapter 15, uh, verses 17 and 18. Now when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold... A smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. And the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is the word of God. A covenant. With Abram. And so we encounter this word covenant. Well, what, what is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn binding agreement between two parties. A solemn binding agreement between two parties. It, it joins them together. I mean, think about when a couple gets married. It, it, it's a covenant, it's something glorious and weighty, it, it's something much bigger than just an individual person. Now, I remember a, a weighty scene in my own life. It was uh, June 1995, and I was at the wedding of a childhood friend. I'd gone to a lot of weddings growing up. I, I, I enjoyed uh, going to them, especially the receptions afterwards. And so I was looking forward uh, to going to this particular wedding. But this one felt different. This one felt especially weighty, and, and I was completely unprepared for it. But why? 
Well, it was because of something that had happened just a few weeks earlier. Because the previous month, I had asked Heather to marry me. And so for the first time, I was at a wedding not merely as a spectator, but as one engaged to be married. As one engaged to be doing what I was watching this couple in front of me do. And I, as I listened to what was proclaimed over them, as I listened to them speak to one another, the weight of it all fell on me. And I listened and I thought, can anyone really do this? Can I really do this? Now, of course, as a pastor, I have the joy of, of doing weddings. Uh, I, I love to do them. I've done several right here, up on this platform, bride and groom, right where this pulpit stands. Uh, it's always an enjoyable uh, occasion, uh, always a, a time that's beauty, beautiful and glorious, but always one that is weighty as well. You know, I think of that moment when, when the couple uh, exchanges the vows and the rings. Words and symbols of a determined choice to honor, to love, and to serve one another. Forsaking all others, being faithful to each other as long as they both shall live. The covenant of marriage. A covenant often sealed with these words. With all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A covenant that is beautiful and weighty. Well, here in Genesis 15, we encounter something even more beautiful and weighty. Something that helps put, put uh, in context the entirety of these beatitudes that Jesus has spoken to us. And so what I want us to do now is, is read part of the, the larger passage surrounding these verses uh, in Genesis 15, and then we're going to uh, dive, dive a bit deeper uh, into it. So this time we will begin with verse 9 of Genesis 15. God said to Abram, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 17. And when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Well, when we read this passage, uh, we are reminded, if we have forgotten, that clearly the Bible is not rated G. Uh, it is scenes like this that are not for the faint of heart if you really let your imagination enter into what uh, is unfolding. I mean, it is a bizarre scene, is it not? But it is also a beautiful and a weighty scene. 
So some of you are familiar with with what's happening around these few chapters in Genesis. So back in Genesis uh, chapter 12, uh, God promises to bless Abram, later to be called Abraham. And God declares, I will bless you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram is blessed To be a blessing, even extending to being a blessing to us here today. So that's Genesis 12. Then we get to Genesis uh, 15, where where God seals that promise. We see that God makes this covenant with Abram. Now first, what what God does, and uh, we did not read this part, but first God takes Abram outside. Tells him to look up at the sky, a night sky, dark millions upon millions of stars, and tells him to look up. Number the stars if you can. Can't do it. And God says, so shall be your offspring. Well, then God tells Abram to bring him a young cow, a female goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram collects these animals as God instructed him to do. But then, with God saying nothing more, Abram cuts the animals in half, placing each half opposite the other and forming an aisle, just like we have a center aisle right here, forming an aisle between these animal pieces. Now, why in the world would Abram do that? Especially when God doesn't tell him to do it. It's because Abram knows what's going on. Now, at first read, we don't, but Abram knew. Abram knew that God was initiating a covenant with him. A solemn, binding agreement with their relationship at its center. Now, today, uh, 21st century, we we live in a written, record-keeping culture. I mean, if there is data, there is more data. Data upon data upon data. I mean, there are plenty of paper files, but then you just think about the mass of electronic data that is stored throughout the world. But the ancient Near East was an oral visual culture, a storytelling culture. And in this act, there's actually a story that's unfolding, a beautiful and weighty story. So after Abram has cut and arranged the the animal pieces and is waiting, it says, verse 18, that on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now literally the word is cut. Cut a covenant. The Lord cut a covenant with Abram. Again, a graphic scene. But, But in this graphic scene, we see an expression of something. We see an expression of, of relational commitment, relational exclusivity, relational fidelity, joined together. And also in this act, there is a dramatization of the consequences of covenant breaking. If one of the parties is not faithful to the other, we see a picture of the penalty for breaking covenant. In other words, if you do not keep this covenant, may you be like these slaughtered animals. It's serious. 
It's weighty. But friends, here's the gospel. Okay, don't miss what happens here. There are two stunning occurrences in the cutting of this covenant. First, rarely, if ever, did a king pass through the animal pieces. But here, God himself, appearing as billowing smoke in a blazing torch, God passes through. And second, a king's subjects, the, the lesser party in the covenant, a king's subjects always passed through the animal pieces. But here, Abram does not. God doesn't let him. Do you see, do you see what's happening God is taking this covenant oath for both of them. God passes through the animal pieces. Abram does not. In other words, God says, if I fail, I pay the penalty. And if you fail, I pay the penalty. Abram, I will bless you no matter what, even if I must be torn apart, even if I must spill my own blood, I will bless you no matter what. In other words, grace. Grace. God taking what we deserve and God giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us life when, because of our sin, we deserve death. A grace to be seen so clearly centuries later. When God made him, Jesus, when God made him who had no sin to be sin for us on the cross. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God through faith. And our capacity to understand that grace will always be a function of our understanding of what it cost God to be gracious to us. You see, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is poured out through this covenant. This is the gospel. And everything in the Christian life springs from this beautiful and weighty covenant. Every kingdom quality. Every kingdom of God characteristic and every blessing that goes along with them, living out and living in all these beatitudes springs from this beautiful and weighty covenant. This covenant of grace that God cut with Abram is a beautiful, powerful, graphic expression of his commitment to make us who he created us to be. And it's the foundation on which all the Beatitudes stand. Now earlier, I shared with you about a wedding that I attended right after getting engaged. And the weight of it all that I felt that day, and, and that question... Can anyone really do this? Can, can I do this? Well, the answer came loud and clear at a friend's wedding uh, shortly after Heather and I got married. And I will never forget it. 
Uh, it, was, it was actually the night before the wedding. It was at the rehearsal dinner, and after a, a series of toasts, uh, the father of the bride stood up. And he looked at his daughter, and he looked at the young man who was about to marry his daughter. And he said, tomorrow you will make a covenant with one another. Tomorrow you will make a covenant with each other before God and his people. You will make promises. You will take vows that you cannot keep except by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it, friends. That's the essential something. That, that central something to the gospel. It's the grace of Jesus. Again, the grace of our Lord Jesus is poured out through this covenant. This is the gospel of grace. And just like Abram, it is ours through faith in Christ alone. It's through the power of this covenant of grace that we are and are becoming these beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter 5. It's through the power of this covenant of grace that we are and are becoming poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek and merciful, that we become those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are pure in heart and are peacemakers, even when persecuted for righteousness' sake. Through faith, we are bound to Jesus and enabled by Him to become more and more like Him. Now, don't hear me wrong. And don't be mistaken here. Don't think that there is no effort on your part. Because there is. The Apostle Paul says, says that you, you must work at this. You must work it out in your very lives. You must strive to live out these beatitudes. Yes, it is hard work. And you and I must do it. But you do not do it in your own strength. You do it through Him. Through faith in Jesus. It is the work of faith. By which we live out these beatitudes. You see it is the all sufficient grace of Jesus. That is our ever sustaining strength. Every moment. By every moment. And every day. By every day. It is in him. And then through him. And it is through the power. Of this covenant of grace that we receive in part now and will re receive in full later, one day, every blessing that Jesus has spoken here. For as Jesus promises and bookends these very Beatitudes, blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In just a moment, we will participate in an act of covenant renewal. A dramatization unfolding, a story unfolding before us. 
as we share together in this table and the Lord's Supper. We get to taste and see God's grace. At the table, our capacity to understand that grace increases because our understanding of what it costs God to be gracious to us increases. And what did it cost him? It cost our Lord everything. And he did it. Why? Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He did it for you. and He did it for me. That in him, our joy might grow and might overflow. And so as we come to this table this morning, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen? Amen.